0: Another episode of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers and shakers of film and, t- and the film and TV makers, uh, writers, directors, composers, uh, production designers, producers, actors—you name it—we talk to them. And as a reminder to folks out there, you know, everybody that's still squawking about no female directors. You know, we keep having them here on Behind the Lens. Um, As a matter of fact, we've got uh, coming up on March 16th. We have Sherry Sussman joining us again uh, to talk about her new film. So just a reminder, the female directors are out there. And there are a lot of them. Go look for them. Uh, Today, I'm very excited about today's show. Joining us at the midpoint of the show is writer-director Rory Kindersley. Rory's going to be calling in from Great Britain. Uh, So hopefully our phone connections, our audio are going to be great. Um, We have all kinds of... Big Boss Nick actually went out and got like new headphones for the show. And uh, let's see, a new... Yes, the new headphone amplifier and connective tissue... Uh that connects the booth with Pam and the engineering la and the engineering portion uh so we're gonna see how all of this works today. Pam hasn't played with it yet I haven't played with it yet, so cross your fingers folks uh, <laughs> but I am very excited to have Rory joining us about his new film Eve. It is visual it is visual splendor personified um Uh, And I can't wait to talk to him about working with his cinematographer, Douglas Milsom, whose work I have loved for many, many years. Um, He actually started his career early on as a camera operator and focus puller on James on early James Bond movies. Um, He did uh, Barry Lyndon. He was cinematographer on Breakdown, that fabulous Kurt Russell movie. Uh, and most recently on Bitter Harvest, uh, a stunning, stunning film. True story. Uh, and a lot of TV experience uh, to Milsom's resume as well. Uh, going back to heart-to-heart TV movies, Lonesome Dove miniseries. So I love seeing what his visuals, what he does with the camera. and We're going to talk to Rory about that. Uh, when he joins us. It's a real psychological thriller and it will have you on the edge of your seat uh, the entire uh, the entire film. But before that, we're going to move onward, onward and upward, with the latest gem from Pixar. In just a joy. An absolute joy. It is enchanting. It is funny. It is fun for young and old alike. It is heartwarming. And... I hate to tell you this, folks, but bring tissues. You're going to need them. Um, Disney, you really should be giving every moviegoer a box of tissues when they come in for this movie. Um, Onward is, is truly pure enchantment. It's a heartfelt story about brothers, tackles so many issues. Single parent, single mom, death, sibling rivalry, teen angst, being the odd man out or feeling nerdy. Finding your inner self, overcoming insecurities and fears, working together, and framing all of this within the confines of an adventure, a non-confining adventure at that, that allows for the fun, the laughs, the energy, and the heartache to come to life. It's a beautifully constructed story. Characters are three-dimensional with layers and emotional texture, and it, it just... And the visuals, of course, the animation is exemplary. Uh, and as to be expected from Pixar, new technology al- allows for some new looks of certain things. The voice casting is sheer perfection. Chris Pratt and Tom Holland, as our brothers Barley and Ian respectively, uh, they are let's just a uh, hoot and a holler together. Um, be it at, at the press conference for the film or playing their respective characters in the film. Uh, production values, Sharon Callahan is called upon by director Dan Scanlon and producer Corey Ray. Sharon's work, we all fell in love with, uh, with her lighting and lensing with The Good Dinosaur. And she's now back, uh, creating these beautiful, beautiful um Beautiful work with Onward uh, with some and water. Nobody does water in animation uh, working with light better than Sharon. And as she dazzled us with the good dinosaur with water and the light and the lensing of that that was brought to life in animation, she does that again here in Onward with an incredible underwater cave sequence. Uh, that find our heroes, Barley and Ian, riding on a boat that's a Cheeto. Um, The film is filled with magic, mysticism, um, and it's rooted uh, deep in the mythology of the earth, the wood tones, the uh, nature, and the whole idea of magic being ancient. And here, magic plays a very big part not only the magic between brothers at trying to succeed and accomplish something together, but the magic that may help bring their father back to life uh, for 24 hours. So it's a very interesting story and premise. uh, But bringing it all to life on the screen, Chris Pratt and Tom Holland, We know they already have a relationship from working in in the MCU uh, as Star-Lord, Peter Quill, and Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man. So it's a perfect fit. And the chemistry is already built in with the two of them. And with Onward, they take it to new heights. At the press conference, I had a chance to talk to them, to ask the question of them about... The voiceover process, as so many of you know, voiceover process, one person is in one booth, comes in at one time. Somebody else may come in a year later and do voice work. But here, the riffing between the two characters of Ian and Barley is so conversational with one talking over the other, as so many of us do. And brothers certainly do, especially when they're excited and exuberant uh, and you can't get the words out of your mouth fast enough. Your, brain, your mouth is working faster than your brain even. And this comes through so beautifully. So I naturally, I wanted to find out, did they let them be in the booth together or did they not? So take a listen to what Chris and, and Tom had to tell me. Congratulations, everybody. This is heart, humor, tissues are mandatory. Absolutely love it. I've got to ask Chris and Tom, The on-screen back and forth, so much overlapping with the voices, All did you guys actually get to be in the booth together to do the voicing, or did they separate you in order to get work done?
1: (laughs) Well, actually both. I think uh, there were moments where we were brought together, and I think maybe part of that had to do with just getting a model of what our uh, relationship would be like, Uh, The you know, how we interact with one another and goof around, and it's not, the, it's not the most conducive to creating clean audio tracks that are usable in the movie. So ultimately, you may f- see something you'd like to model the behavior on and then capture that with us separate. That was oftentimes the case, I think. Um, I've been in, uh, like for instance, in the Lego movie, we did a lot of uh, riffing, there was a lot of improv comedians in there, and there's a certain magic that comes, uh, that isn't found, that's found in the moment that doesn't exist on the page. And um, I don't think that I don't think that there was a lot of that in this because the what's on the page here was so magical and, and so protected. So like we didn't colloquialize a ton, maybe a little bit, but for the most part everything we say was what was written in the script and, and uh, and so we, they isolated us to do that, but at the same time they brought us together, so A, so we could shoot some promotional stuff of Tom and I together, because let's talk about the chemistry here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it's now you know why it's called chemistry, you throw two chemicals together and there's a, a heat, an explosion sometimes, if you will, uh-huh. a chemical reaction. And um, <laughs> we wanted to get that heat. You know what I mean? That's why they sat us next to other on this couch. Is, yeah. The couch is actually it's messing actually, up the uh, the chemical reaction. It
2: is, the couch itself uh. is hot.
1: Yeah, it's it very hot. Really yeah. hot. It, it is, is. It's, it's a um, chemical reaction. So we, they did put, they did throw us together, and then we, they were able to see, like, wow, look at these two. They're like brothers. This is how they interact. And some of that was probably expressed in the movie. But, yeah, we had to shoot it uh, and record it. It's funny with improvising on this job that you'd be improvising, 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 and then you'd just get down and be like... Could you just do it as scripted, please? Yeah. <laughs> I like that you've, yeah, put sure. me,
3: you've put me in a booth In another booth. away yeah. from you. <laughs> ah,
1: could you please do this differently? Thank just you. Just do as you're told. No, coming in from Dan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, of course, joining Chris and Tom doing voice work is Ju- Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who plays their mother, uh, Laurel, and a real thrill... Um, Octavia Spencer voices the manticore, and the manticore plays a very key part in the history of magic. Uh, and Octa- This is an Octavia Spencer you have never heard before, and she just roars to life here uh, with exuberance and excitement and fun. Uh, she is a joy. Her character, the manticore, is an absolute joy. And, of course... Let's just, you don't have to worry and wonder, Pixar fans. John Ratzenberg is voicing a character in the film, as always. You can't have a Pixar film without John Ratzenberg uh, doing some kind of voice work. Now, the, our director, writer director Dan Scanlon, co writers are Jason Headley and Keith Bunin, and producer Corey Ray have put together something truly special here. And of course, Scanlan, you know his work um, as a storyboard artist on Cars, Toy Story 3, um, and he directed Monsters University. That was his animated feature directorial debut. And now he ups the ante. You can see his progression as a director in the design of Onward, and it's exciting, always exciting to see that when a director shows us something new. And we definitely see that from Dan with Onward. Uh, and of course, Corey Gray was also a producer of Monsters University. So the two of them already have a great shorthand together. Uh, and it really comes through in their approach to the film. One of the highlights of the film Uh, beyond some of the new visuals that we see, some new use of color that we see, is also the wonderful, wonderful Jeff and Michael Dana as composers. They composed The Good Dinosaur, and they are back again uh, together composing for Onward. And the score is exemplary. They have so many incredible motifs, the instrumentation, uh, I am hoping to try and, and snag an interview with the two of them uh, to talk about this film and how they develop the score and their choice of instruments. Because so many of them, when you listen, you can hear it harkens to woods, Woodwind strings, very earthy, earthy tones and notes, uh, which adds another layer to the beautiful storytelling here. But. I did have a chance to sit down with Dan and Corey for an exclusive interview uh, to talk about some elements of the film. I I could have talked to them forever about this film, but um, talked a lot about cinematography, the Danas, and a lot of the pop culture zeitgeist uh, that pops up within the context of the film. So take a listen to Dan Scanlon and Corey Ray as in this exclusive interview as we sat down and talked about Onward. Well, I do indeed love this film. thank you. You do need to supply tissues, however. (laughs) Um, It is just, what you've done is so great. And you have Sharon Callahan (laughs) doing the cinematography, the lighting. Yes,
3: indeed, we're thrilled. Corey started that ball rolling immediately. Immediately.
2: As soon as we knew we were going to make a movie, I started talking to Sharon. Yeah. I was like, Sharon, Dad and I would love to work with you. What's your movie about? We don't know yet. Yeah. It was that long. It was like that yeah. early.
0: And I'm like, we'll keep you posted. Well, after what Sharon did on The Good Dinosaur, yeah. and her affinity for nature and mountains and her paintings, Yeah, and with this film, as I'm watching it, and the whole roots of magic is old and ancient, and you've got the beautiful vistas of Raven's Point in the yeah. background and then you get the volumetric clouds coming in again and I'm seeing all these things that Pixar has developed returning yeah and
3: the one thing that was cool with Sharon and I too is um, both of us were a little more naturalistic in our taste but I wanted to do something a little bit more fanciful and theatrical and I remember both she and I saying like we don't really know what that is and we don't really do that but let's learn <laughs> together and And it's not a heavy-handed thing, but there's certainly, uh, you know, color, uh, brighter colors here and there, more fanciful theatrical color here and Mm -hmm. there, just to always keep you in a fantasy movie. And it was a fun challenge for both she and I to to play with. Yeah,
0: I mean, the lighting in this film is spectacular. Yeah. With the contrast. And then once again, and she is a master of water. Yeah. (laughs) And that the underground river. Yeah. Yeah. And the Cheeto boat
3: <laughs> and even cho- other choices she made about uh, that she pitched me that I thought were great about minimalism like the scene where Barley and Ian have just confessed or Ian's just accidentally said he thinks Barley's a screw up when we cut to Barley there's just black out that window and then that whole scene with the cops it's just black there's yeah. no we didn't even really build the set mm-hmm. um, and, and that was Sharon just saying let's, let's go all the way there the, you know we were saying those boys are on display and everything's gone bad that's just nothing which was really fun.
0: And it plays really, really well when we have... You're cutting between nothingness and as nothingness is appearing. I mean, just so well done. Mm -hmm. And you're actually showing us quote-unquote some of the magic Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's happening, you know, behind the lens. Yeah, yeah. So just stunning. But this entire... The story... The story is fabulous. The themes that you address here are a powerhouse. And the fact that it takes mom... as Somebody told me earlier, a press person said, you know, this is a very male-driven film. I said, yeah, but who comes in to try and save them? Mom and the manticore.
3: Yeah, and, exactly. and do save them. Like, they yeah. could not have achieved their goal without that sword, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, and that, that was a, a cool That's thing brilliant. for... You know, because my mom, I mean, she was everything to us. She su- she supported us, encouraged us, fought for us. And um, so I was so happy when Laurel became even a bigger part of the story. And watching that scene of the three of them, or well, the two of Ian and Mom working together to get Dad and Barley to meet it was so emotional because it feels like oh, yeah. it's always been the three of us, my brother, my mom, and I against the world and the idea of,
0: that, just, anyway, it just gets me. Oh, no, it's, it's emotionally exquisite, is truly what this film is, and, but then you add in all this humor, and all these humorous touchstones, and kudos to your production designer, to Noah, and I have to say, I'm looking at, we have the sword, okay, the sword, number one, King Arthur, Guinevere, the band, but also... It has those Disney touchstones as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. with the sword and the stone and young Wark who can't even lift his shoe, let right. alone lift a, <laughs> pull the sword, pull Excalibur out. And I have to ask, Willowdale, is that a nod to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Sunnydale, and oh. Willow?
3: No, no. We it's didn't know that.
0: Had, no.
2: so, <laughs> There's so sorry. many things that are wonderful accidents when oh, yeah. these movies. Oh my God. And I think it just like the world is just so it's filled with synchronicity, right? And it's like sometimes things just happen. And um, where did Willowdale came? It, just, it was in story. Like we thought about it. Yeah. It came up in a in yeah. a, in the writing. Yeah. Um, but. Just as a, like, you know, a fa- Willow being
0: kind fantasy, of a fantasy-sounding yeah. word. So, of course, I'm sure, yeah. you know. Well, yeah, I mean, I saw it is. immediately, and I went to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> Sunnydale, and Willow, who was the one with the man, with the witch powers. Oh, funny. Uh-huh. In the show. Cool. And I thought, this is great. And then <laughs> you've got a griffin, and kids yeah. are going to love it. They're going to think Harry Potter and mm-hmm. Gryffindor. Right. And, of course, it's, you know, Harry Potter's house, so hey. Right. And he's the underdog exactly. wizard, and here we've got Ian as right. the most unsuspecting. <laughs> but all of these pop culture things from the zeitgeist all come together here. Cool. And I love that it's happenstance. Yeah. It's yeah. serendipitous. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, I think you know, like we were saying
2: earlier, there's, there's specific there's so many tropes of fantasy. You know what I mean, and I think we we kind of just wanted to pull from some of those so that so that there would be things that were recognizable. I think Mm -hmm. some of them we didn't even know the original source, but they've made their way into um, fantasy, you know, genre and become tropes. and And it was important for us to be make sure that we held on to some of those
0: so that people would recognize it as you know as fantasy that they've seen before. I mean, there's something here for every generation that will serve as a touchstone or, you know, set something off. How did you go about finding and developing the overall visual tonal bandwidth of this film? Because it is very specific. Haven't seen this from Pixar before. With the color, with the nuance of color. I mean, we haven't seen, like, bluish, phosphorus... Oh, before Mm -hmm. right, we haven't seen pixies, motorcycle riding pixies who suddenly get sparkly (laughs) wings when they (laughs) magic returns and they can fly. But it's all very—it's a very specific visual tonal bandwidth that is apart from anything we've seen from Pixar.
3: Well, I think like the story itself, the it's a lot of um, um, beautiful things and everyday things. You know, I think color-wise, it's the same. It's a lot of Um, kind of you know I don't want to say mundane but everyday color mixed with this beautiful uh, contrast and um, you know Sharon and Noah uh, were really critical in obviously in creating that that theory and we we did that same kind of thinking with everything with Mm -hmm. with the way we shot the movie you know making sure that we're having these sort of um everyday simple camera moves or handheld, or or I mean, uh, you know, still shots for the sort of early part of the movie, the the sort of everyday part, and then saving our big sweeping shots for magic, and saving those big, huge sweeping moments for for when the adventure builds. Um, But it's funny, because sometimes I'd say, like, this should just be like a boring everyday kind of gross town and you know a lot of times pictures say, say well, we don't do that <laughs> like, we're still going to make it look good but like but you know what I mean not yeah. as good as what's coming so like
2: like can we have all the grass in the neighborhood just be brown yeah, like mine I read, was like, growing up like it's ugly, you know
3: what I mean yeah, yeah everything bland. Bland well even brown. the Manticore's Tavern I remember talking to Sharon and her you know the the tavern when you first walk in should look like a kind of a chain or mm-hmm. a little uh, soulless jeans. yeah <laughs> and sharon it was pretty rich in its golden light and i thought well let's back off on that can you get it a little wider can you get it a little just a touch more fluorescent um so that once the lights go out and the flames appear then you get the sense of torch lit even though it's scary and dangerous that it's a little more naturalistic and beautiful and
2: what the tavern used to be but it was kind of reflecting that uh, yeah Yeah. it was
3: hard I think for the the opening part for Sharon to like take the warmth out and add a little white light in there and you know it's it's true
0: well (laughs) one more very very quick question has to be about the wonderful Jeff and Michael and the music yeah oh wow yeah beautiful score yeah what were your considerations to have this serve as your undercurrent
3: yeah.
0: of this film, it's again, it's very naturalistic, which they've done before. Yeah. But I'm, I just love it. So I'm very curious as to what you were looking for yeah. from them.
2: A lot of, you know, when we were listening to to composers and stuff, I think one thing we both responded to the emotional mm-hmm. nature of a lot of their music, um, and we knew that we really, we really, really wanted that, and not just for places in the movie but throughout the movie Um, and we also knew that they can do really big sweeping um, things and we needed both of those and that they were eclectic that they would be you know because it's fantasy um, that they would be able to bring those unique instruments um, and all of the kind of interesting crazy stuff that they have done in in previous scores and and in their own life in their own musical life.
3: Um, And then it just so happened they were brothers. It just so happened. That did not play a part, but. it
0: it just so happened. And it just so happens that I think you're going to love Onward. It is coming out. Disney's got a full slate right now. Disney picks up. First, we've got Call the Wild, which is out, uh, which surpassed expectations this week for opening weekend. Harrison Ford and Buck the Dog. It is the adaptation of the beloved Jack London classic, The Call of the Wild. If you haven't seen it, please, I uh, I recommend it so highly. It is a true adventure and it will warm your heart and it is beautiful. The cinematography is exquisite. Uh, And Harrison Ford, you can tell he loves this role. Uh, It's not often that you can tell when he loves something. He, You can see this in his performance, um, that he loves this role, this story. Um, and, hey, if nothing else, take your kids to see the movie, then take them to the library and get the book and read Jack London's book. Um, so, and, of course, Onward, we'll be in theaters. See it, see it, see it, bring tissues. And, uh, yeah, it's, it is magic. So, right now, I am very excited to welcome Rory Kindersley. Hi, Rory.
4: Hi, Debbie. How are you?
0: Well, I after seeing Eve, I am beyond excited to talk to you. Uh,
4: Thanks. Thank you very much.
0: This is, I was spellbound, mesmerized from start to finish with this film. It is a visual stunner. And I have to say, I want a two-story house that has a slide in it.
4: It does have a slide in it, yes, absolutely. Yes,
0: I want, to, I want that house. Um,
4: it's, yeah, it's, that's one of the, um, the EP's houses. Oh. <laughs> we actually shot it um, in the, one of the executive producers' houses, so um, it's quite a good story of how that came about.
0: Oh, please, please share. share.
4: <laughs> yes. Well, he, he went away um, on a holiday and did a short-term let. Um, and he got some people in, which he thought was a, was a sort of lovely um, old couple that were going to be renting out his place. And they turned out to be this, this criminal gang <gasps> that um, took over his place. And then they um, essentially trashed it, had a huge party trashed it um stole a load of this stuff um and when he came back obviously he got in touch with all the authorities and everything but how it, about to have how this story came about was um following this this event his house was um was kind of in tatters and he said to drew sharing hill one of the the other co-writer he said look i've got you know, I've got my house is available for the next year before um before I get it all redone again. So if you want to shoot anything in this place, now's the time to do it. So Drew came up to me and and said, Look, Let we let's write this little um this little movie. We've got this location, this weird, wonderful location, so um so let's do it and that's how um that's how it came about. And we, we wrote it in about three months, um I, I hear people saying they can write scripts in, in a day or a week. I don't know how they do that. But uh, three months was, <laughs> was definitely the quickest we've ever written a script. And, and, um, and so that's how it, that's how it began. Um, yeah.
0: Oh, my God. That, that's incredible. Um, but I, the house is a character itself within this film. So you had that basic premise and then what led you to expand this into the idea of an actress and and what she's going through with her career.
4: Um it's a good question. Well, I just I I mean obviously we we had to have a story that could be just sit- situated within that one location and we were trying to think of of who, of you know, a good character that would that we could centre the story around, and I, I I I can't remember which one of us came up with an actress, but that's how it that's how it came about. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it was as you say, the the house itself is 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 literally a character within itself, but it's also kind of a like a sort of metaphor for her mind because it's mm-hmm. so weird and. Every every floor within that place is, it reminded me a little bit of the um, of the Overlook Hotel, you know, from The mm-hmm. Shining. Yes. Not in the sense that it, it's not like a hotel, but just like the weird floors and the um, and all that sort of stuff. And as you say, like a sort of there's a slide in the living room. It's um, it's an extraordinary place.
0: Oh, I'm disappointed we didn't get to see anybody sliding down the slide. <laughs>
4: Well, um, we we were thinking about it, and and it did come up in a lot of conversations. But then it just just the thought of it would just make it be too comical. I think that if you have someone uh, sort of running away from someone and sliding down a slide or whatever it is, <laughs> so I just think it would. Um, yeah,
0: we it, it, we did it, it honestly have it. conversations about it, but uh, it didn't didn't come about. Well, and what I love with the premise of the story, we have an actress who she loses a part. And she thinks that she should have this part because she had originated it on stage. Now it's being made on film. And we've heard similar stories of resentment for situations like that over the past hundred years in Hollywood, as well as on the stage when somebody else takes over a part that somebody originated and they think that they should still be allowed to do it. So there is, there's history rooted in that concept believable authentic history rooted in that concept um but then you take a twist and a turn and we're not going to give a spoiler any spoilers away for those that haven't seen the film yet um and you capitalize on this with your visuals and you couldn't have done better than having doug milsom as your cinematographer (laughs) Oh, my, I am a huge admirer of his work going all the way back to early days of television when he he lends uh, heart-to-heart uh, TV movie. He did um, multi-episodes of Lonesome, Lonesome Dove miniseries. Um, yeah. he, he was a frequent TV guy um, for TV movies. And that's how I first became oh, familiar with Doug's work.
4: Yeah we we were very very lucky to have um Doug. i mean that was that was incredible there was actually um there is actually a kubrick connection myself and um toby cook who's uh, one of the other producers mm-hmm. we actually met on the on the set of eyes wide shut years ago mm-hmm. um we was we were sort of there as runners stroke you know slash sort of extras and um um and obviously that's the you know the kubrick connection doug was movie but it's um it was through toby and toby grew up on sets that we managed to managed to get doug involved and doug was just great I mean, he was so to have someone like that on your sort of first essentially you know the calming head he was it was just you can ask for anything more um and uh he was always sort of, you know, the life and soul on on the um, on the, on the set, mm-hmm. and he always had this thing every uh, every four o'clock, every time every day at four o'clock, we had to do something called the four o'clock laugh, where what? everyone had to stop what they're doing, and then just burst into laughter, just to pick everyone's energy up a bit because around four p.m. is when everyone's a little bit tired, um, and just funny quirky things like that. But he was just obviously. Um, you know wise head to turn to when when you know when when my back was against the wall creating he would he would um, he was great for that you know
0: well and he has such a you know an impressive start in the industry too i mean and he worked his way through a focus puller a camera operator so he really yeah. understands cinematography i mean he did how many james bond movies um in those capacities so he's really worked with some of the best to hone his skills to get him where he is now Um, Now, something that that you and Doug do is the way you have, you actually lens this film, Um, everything in the house, it has almost a fisheye surveillance take (laughs) to it. And I fell in love with this. So the entire time we get the sense of voyeuristic sense you know we're a fly on the wall we are spying on what's happening with our our actress Alex Beyer and boyfriend Liam who is a strange bloke um but how did you come about with this this particular specific this very specific design for the camera
4: well um, we i always wanted to from the very start Kind of shoot on on super sort of wide lenses um, you know to give it that sort of as you say this' a slightly heightened reality mm-hmm. um, to it um, so and um, we got we used these cook lenses um, we pretty much shot on a fourteen millimeter most of the time mm-hmm. um, even in even in the close ups as well as the wides Wow we always used a, a fourteen millimeter Occasionally we went to down to a ten um, and we we had a whole a whole sort of case of, of, um, of lenses. But after like the first week, Tuggy just was like, well, we're not using them. Just send them send them back to the camera house because uh, we're just, you know, and we're using these wide lenses and, and, um, yeah, that's what those are the sort of lens choices we made. And, and again, yeah, he was, he was great in, um, in, um, in, in all that aspect of it. And yeah, it definitely gave it that, gave it that, as I said, that heightened reality that we were looking for um, within the story.
0: And creepy. It makes it creepy.
4: And, uh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, yeah.
0: Was that... Did you did you plan that originally when you and Doug sat down to go for that effect? Or did you see this effect and then go, hey, we're going to stick with it?
4: No, no, we always wanted to do... Um, we always wanted to make make it super wide and and just to give it also that sort of you know that very cinematic look i mean you know mm-hmm. we we had this amazing house at the end of the day we we a lot of the rooms were quite quite small and just also by having these wide lenses you just you give yourself so much so much more space to play around with and um and it just it 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 worked within the within the story as well because of of you know the character. Thinking that you know, uh, someone's uh, out to sabotage her, and who is this woman trying to sabotage her career? And is after her? And there's this whole, whole paranoia, and they spiralling out of control. So it's definitely um, it definitely works towards that, and it, and it, and as you say, it definitely adds to the creepiness of it. Um, yeah, because it's you know, it gives us this, this um, alternative. I guess.
0: You know, and you provide a really beautiful contrast to the white on white, the very super saturated nature of the house. Um, With the white on white, the punctuation of primary colors, red, yellow, green on steps, Um, you know, the color plays such a big part here against that white. Um, So kudos to your production designer, Ryan Thomas, on this one. Uh, with, oh, yeah no he was amazing. Uh, it's now did you have to was did the house already have the circular stairs? Um was it all, were they already painted or was that was, those colours were something you brought in?
4: Well first of all I should apologize, no no purples in there. I know that's your favorite colour. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, uh, um but uh it was no the the uh, the stairs was was, was always there that spirally staircase that was um and all those colors on the floors Mm -hmm. um, it um but then ryan came in and really just added another layer to it i mean he just you know his it was his all because the rooms were pretty much blank canvases and and ryan and and ryan just went and you know made them his own so um he he took that on board and just went with it and um he did an amazing job it definitely added again to a the sense of creepiness about the place, for sure.
0: Well, and here again, it's also a testament to Doug because we get into the master bedroom and it's white on white on white. And it's all different white textures from the bed, the pillowcases, the floor, the walls, the chiffon, very sheer chiffon curtains. And as you know, white on white on white is always very difficult when you're shooting um, to really, to differentiate and to get a clean cinematic look, and it 's exquisite, um, the bedroom scenes are are just gorgeous, but then you you counter all that, you contrast it, and you take us inside every house has walls, sometimes you have passageways in those walls, sometimes your drywall you know gives you enough room spacing between rooms that you can squeeze in there, and you take us into the dirt of actual house construction and yeah. that really bodes well for heightening the fear in this film of what is happening what's going on because we are essentially yeah. in the dark as to what is happening here
4: yeah it's, well, it's a nice contrast as well to the sort of the the cleanliness of the of the house and then you've got you know the what you're talking about the uh behind the walls, um, darkness and what's, what's beneath, what's just beneath the surface, mm-hmm. so to speak.
0: Now, were those, were those passages actually within the house or did you build them on a, on a soundstage?
4: Uh, we built them, um, and they weren't even on the soundstage. We had to, we built them within this room in the house and, and that was just, again, all down to, um, the brilliance of, of Ryan um Ryan Thomas wow. and um you know he and also also the way that we sort of shot it um and Doug Doug was great about that he was like how we can sort of pull this off to make it to make it look like you know it's it's tunnels and tunnels and tunnels mm-hmm. and it's quite interesting because we um, we we shot a lot of it in within we built the the places within the house and then with they He's going through these sort of corridors and these tunnels, and, and then you sort of suddenly you end up in a in a room that's one of the executive producers' bedrooms and um, another EP's house, and then you're in another location just to just to make it all make it all work.
0: Wow, wow, and of course then you have um, so often overlooked in films um, sound. Everybody that that yep. watches that watches or listens to Behind the Lens, they know sound is a very big thing for me with film. Sound and cinematography are huge. And sound, your sound design, your editing here, Chris Wilson's work, is flawless. I was holding my breath in moments watching this film where the sound is so subtle that you yeah. hear somebody breathing, but... Do are we really hearing somebody breathing, and these you know the rain, rain uh, on the windows on the skylight, and you're not really sure because it's kind of muffled, and it just so exquisitely done, meticulous. Um, How challenging was it for you and Chris to come up with the sound um, and the nuance of it that you ultimately have here?
4: Um, it it took a while, but I mean, it was always the intention, shooting it, that it was going to be a very, I think with a lot of suspenseful films, I think, I think, obviously, as you say, sound is, is key. Um, um, what was it that, uh, um, what was it that Hitchcock said, you know, there's um, about the anticipation and it's not the, um, the anticipation and the bang. Um, But it's the, basically it was like, yeah, what was the quote again? I can't remember now. But um, the sound was definitely very important. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, you know, I wanted to generate a sort of very slow burn terror and unease through the visual storytelling. And obviously the sound was key in in helping that. Um, And so, yeah, Chris was great at coming up with, um, we were diving into his library for extraordinary noises and things just to just to give it an extra edge. Um, but it definitely was a heavily sound-designed film, um, which was, um, was key.
0: Oh, it, it's just... It is truly exquisitely done, Rory. Um, Thank you. Because even things that go bump in the night, it doesn't sound like the traditional a footstep on a stair or something like that. You really... It gets your mind wondering. It sets the imagination reeling as to what what is happening, what are we seeing, what well, are we ho- hearing.
4: Absolutely, and hopefully we get the you know the true impact kind of re- only reveals itself once the credits have rolled. You know.
0: Uh yes.
4: We were sort of- <laughs> 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 but-, but of course, you know, no spoilers. No but, spoilers. Um, but yeah.
0: but this is a, this, Um, this, sorry, (laughs) no, go ahead.
4: (laughs) No, I was just going to say, I have to say as well that, um, um, that Mark Towns, the editor was, was just incredible uh, at, um, creating a lot of this as well. I mean, obviously we spent quite a while in the edit and, um, and he was, he was very, very patient (laughs) with me and, um, and very generous with his time. And, um, and he really helped, uh, you know, um, Put it together and the way it is and so um yeah he was, he was amazing too
0: well with a film like this whenever you're dealing with a thriller and a psychological thriller at that with just you know a glint of horror thrown in here um yeah tension finding that pace for tension is so critical i think it's as critical as as a laughter is with comedy you know you've got to know exactly when to hold it when to let it go um, or else you 're going yeah. you 're going lose that thread that you 've been building, and especially with a slow burner like eve um, so yeah, the editing you know his work is it 's also so well done
4: yeah, you want to sustain that sort of sense of menace and dread throughout the story you know, as it's as it's going going forward
0: and then of course, you infuse a few elements of surprise that you don't see coming and all of a sudden bam it just hits you um and those are gutsy moves those are gutsy moves to make and they work they work so well here thank you but you know all of this you know production beauty and high quality um would be for nothing if you didn't have some incredible performances and I gotta tell you, Christine Marzano and Rachel uh Wayman, just amazing. And Christine, I, I, I think she may be setting getting herself in a trend here. Um, you know, she had a small part in Seven Psychopaths. Um I remember yeah, well, her she, I remember she her role think, in paranoia. Hmm. Uh, mm. uh well,
4: and tape and, and because she plays someone who's English, mm-hmm. we actually we actually thought that she was, you know, her, her accent was so good that in the audition, her audition was great, but we we actually thought she was English, um, which obviously you know always helps. Um, and um, no, she was she was a great find, and also, as you say, Rachel Warren was um, was really was really great. You know, she was. I remember. That, I mean again can't really give her much away but that end scene she was sick as a dog essentially on the day but she just powered through um you know she was she was great and with both those actresses there are there are a lot of scenes where there's no dialogue mm-hmm. and the narrative is just driven by the tone and this sort of undercurrent of dread and and both those main actresses pulled it off beautifully I think you know because you know a lot of those times when you, when there is no um dialogue it's you know it's harder to do
0: well, and this is not a dialogue heavy film to begin with. No. This is all about atmosphere, building that atmosphere and that tension through your sound, through your visual and through their performances. And Yeah, oh well, thank you. You know, this is this is one time where silence, you know, no words is a good thing, a very good thing. And it really lets you as you're watching the film, it allows you to appreciate the production design, the sound design, um, the use of color, uh, and particularly the Doug's incredible that, that fisheye, you know, experience of of the lensing. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just, I that is, I am just in love with that in this film. I, <laughs> I have to say it, Rory. I am so in love with that in this film. Um, Thank you, Debbie. I mean, I can see why Level 33 picked this film up to distribute Um, because it really, the whole look and feel, it harkens back to Hitchcock, you know, even a little taste of Kubrick, maybe some Lynch. But really, it's got a very Hitchcockian feel to it, to the build, to the burn. Um, As I was watching it, I was also, I thought a lot about Shadow of a Doubt for some reason. Um, and the way that builds with Joseph Cotton's character. And mm-hmm. a lot of it had to do with just him standing somewhere, standing in a yeah. doorway, lurking. And that film came sprang to mind as I was watching Eve. And also because okay. of some of the camera work. Um, also goes back to the snake pit um, with some really incredible camera work in the Olivia de Havilland movie. Um, So you've got a lot of classic cinematic elements here that raise the bar even higher on the film.
4: Well, thank you very much. That's that's high praise indeed. Thank you.
0: You know what, because you're known for, you know, you do music videos, you do commercials. You know, what was this learning curve like? I know you had done a feature film a number of years ago but you've got more tools in the toolbox now uh, to play with. But was there any kind of learning curve? What was the the biggest challenge for you to jump into this feature? Well, I mean,
4: um, obviously the the challenges were the space, similar to a lot of um, low-budget films. You know, we shot in 17 days, and, um, uh, you know, there's obviously a, you're obviously always against it, Um with time, but um, I, you know, you you do hear this a lot, and it's 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 not. Tr- I mean, it's it sounds like a cliche, but it is true that um that you know when your back is against the wall creatively, it it does force you to to make something better, um and that's um and that obviously happened a lot because we were up against it, and and it um we sort of came up came out shining through it because um some somehow these these things work out like this. I mean. There were um, obviously not all days are perfect, but um, I learned that um, when you're up against it, not to you know that sometimes that can be a good thing. And also to collaborate with, I collaborated heavily with um, with Doug Milson and also Tom Wilkinson, who was a Steadicam operator. Um, you know, who, he did you know Star Wars Rogue One and. And things like that. I mean, he's 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 amazing. So having both of those guys, you know, they were they were great at um you know, getting us out of jams, if you like.
0: You know, how um, how, um, how fortunate is it for you? How lucky do you feel that you got you have guys like Doug and Tom with this vast experience, and they're doing your film?
4: Um, I, it's not lost on me, Douie. I mean, it's <laughs> I it, I was pinching myself. It was amazing. I mean. Obviously um Toby cook director got some Doug involved and we were so lucky and, and Tom Wilkinson happens to live up the hill from from my mum. So I, so I so I basically stalked him in the pub and got him drunk and made him um come on set uh, get him to agree to do it and he was he was great. So um um yeah, well, I got really lucky. Um and um, so, yeah, I, I, and also we had Lou Bogue as well, the gaffer, who's who's just incredible as well and works with Doug a lot.
0: Oh, my God. I mean, you have an embarrassment of riches on this film. Um, but it, it but it shows in the end product. It really shows. Um, you know, I know the film opened in limited theatrical on the 14th, but it's also... It, on Valentine's Day, but it's also now available on VOD and I think digital. Is it digitally available yet? Um,
4: it's yeah. I mean, it's on the, what the you know the Amazon and Apple okay. spectrum. All those sort of um, all those ones. Um, yeah.
0: Now, will a DVD or a Blu-ray be coming out for this one?
4: Um, should be. I don't actually know. I'm, I'm not entirely sure about that. Um, I, sh- I wish I had the, a more fin- uh, definite answer, but I don't actually know yet the update on that. But I'm, there will be a Blu-ray coming out at some stage. I just don't know what the, the update on that is. Now, We've Mar- just got, had distribution in um, as well as the U.S. in Australia, and uh, I know the guys are at um, the EFM right now trying to uh, get distribution in Europe and U.K.
0: Everybody should be snapping this film up. I, I am <laughs> I am you. very serious. Everyone should be snapping this film up. It is truly um it is a you know, it is riveting. It's one of the best oh, thank you. It is one of my favorite psychological thrillers that I have seen in quite a while. And I am I'm hugely drawn to the these kind of films. I always am, but to see one done with the heightened reality that you create, you and your team create. It is a joy to see a film this well made Rory. it really is oh thank you thank you
4: well, as I said, I mean that's i mean it's lead really down to it's such a collaborative effort that you know I can't take credit for it it's, it's just everyone that was involved they were they were amazing, so I just got very lucky.
0: Now will we see another film from you anytime soon?
4: um hopefully, yes, um I'm just finishing writing a. A new script at the moment that um, I'm about to um, be going going out to uh producers with its, a, it's all I say is it's a horror fairy tale
0: uh uh-huh. uh uh-huh. <laughs> well you know people seem to so. forget that fairy tales actually you go back to the original Grimm stories uh things like that they all had very horrifying elements to them
4: absolutely you know I, and i as i you know as you Talked about before with this film, this sort of heightened reality. I love anything that's, that's, you know, an escape from our own reality.
0: Well, our own reality, I think, is enough of a horror right now. Um, <laughs> so hopefully you won't be writing about that because uh, <laughs> we're all living it right now <laughs> on every level. So, well, Rory, uh, this has been just an absolute joy. I can't thank you enough for calling in and joining me on the show today. This is a real treat. It's a, pleasure. a real treat, and I hope I sincerely hope that when you do your next film that I'll get it that I can see it and we can chat again because I definitely want to see more from you, Rory.
4: Thank you, Debbie. I'd I'd love to. Uh, absolutely.
0: Oh, Rory, thank you so much. And let's see, it's nighttime in in Great Britain, so you have a wonderful
4: yeah, I'm, I'm- It's now um, sort of 8 o'clock at night, so I'm about to go to the pub and have a pint.
0: Ooh, okay, well, I'll be joining you hours later at my local pub. So, you know, Rory, thank you so much, and enjoy your drink at the pub.
4: (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Debbie.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Rory. Bye-bye.
4: See you then. Bye. Bye.
0: And that was writer-director Rory Kindersley talking about Eve. If you can't tell, I really love this film. Uh, And it is. As Rory said, it's on all the digital platforms. I believe it's also on VOD here in the States. Uh, For our our listeners down under in Australia, it's coming out in Australia. And hopefully uh, through EFM, the European markets will get a chance to see Eve soon. Uh, it really is. Incredible production values. And, I, oh God, there's so much I can't say about the film because it will spoil it, and I can't do that. Um, but a lot of good stuff out there. There's another film that's opening up um, that I highly recommend for you. You'll be hearing me uh, talk more about it and write about it in the coming week, 10 days. film called Burden. It is a true story. It's from writer-director Andrew Heckler. This has been almost a 20-year journey of his to get this film made. Uh, and it's a true story. It's akin to Skin that starred Jamie Bell last year uh, as a, neo, uh, somebody, a neo-Nazi who wanted to leave that life. Now we have Burden, which is the story of a young man who was raised by uh, the leader of a KKK chapter. And he wants to leave that life. Um, it's a powerful story. The cast is amazing. Garrett Headland, Tom Wilkinson, Forrest Whitaker, Andrea Riseborough, shot on location in Jackson, Georgia, subbing for uh, Lawrence, South Carolina. It is outstanding. But as I said, we'll be talking about that more uh, probably next week. But put that on your calendars to see. It's a very important movie. It is one that aims to bring people together rather than pull them apart. Uh, There's redemption, uh, renewal, forgiveness, and Garrett Hedlund gives a tour de force performance. Uh, So look out for that one. You've got Onward coming up. And... Next week, we've got uh, Emma Deckers, actress uh, Emma Deckers, is going to join us. And uh, later in, in March, we've got Sherry, uh, writer-director Sherry Sussman is, is on board. And March 9th, Mark Pellington will be here talking about the th- his new things that are coming up. So, that's it for today. Until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. <laughs>